It's 12.09. This is Jeff Wagner. Eric Bilstadt. Let me let me see if I understood one of the things you said in the news. Uh-oh. Yes, correctly. Trouble. No, no, no. No, no. Well, actually, it is. I'm in a cranky <laughs> mood today. It is. But all right. Okay. So th- this, this psycho that kills all the people, the 26 people dead in Texas, the 20 other wounded. Mm-hmm. Did I hear you say that they have his cell phone and they're looking for clues and stuff? But they can't figure out, they can't get it unlocked. They cannot get into it. And this has been a story we've heard in the past, they right? They cannot Remember get it unlocked. Where you cannot do all the encryption of okay. that phone Okay, currently. let me just understand this. We put a man on the moon back in the late 1960s. We have technology and satellites that allow us to find terrorist camps in the most obscure parts of the world. And you can't open some psycho killer's cell phone after 48 hours? Nope. It's a hell of a world. Thank you. All right. I just, I just want to make sure I, I understood that. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm listening to this report saying, okay, <laughs> wait, apparently the you can put people on the moon, but you can't open up this psycho cell phone in 48 hours. And there is something wrong. With, there is something the fundamentally yeah. wrong with, with this. Now, I'm, I'm all in favor of uh, being like able to secure stuff and things like that, but there really should be a way for law enforcement to be able to get into this kook cell phone after 48 hours. I'm, if you can tell, welcome to the program today. I, I have always said that the most difficult day to do a show is after the Green Bay Packers lose, typically because I, I feel you are, are unhappy. Well, this is one. I, I'm just in a cranky mood. There, there's no question about it. I, I thought the team was going to the Super Bowl this year. They will be lucky to win two more games. That is just the reality. And I understand that you lose a player like Aaron Rodgers, and it's always tough, but I guess it's really exposing how bad this team is. This defense might be the worst defense in the National Football League. Just po- possibly the undisciplined, lousy. Did Detroit even punt at all last night? No punts. No punts at all. My producer, Gru, you were at that game. Was it as bad in person as it was to watch on television and listen to on the radio? It was okay for the first quarter. Yes, yeah, right. The first quarter, they drive down the field, have a blocked field goal, then stop the Lions on a three and out, except Mike Daniels, their star defensive player, loses his head, punches somebody or headbutts him, gets a 15-yard penalty. Detroit scores. Packers weren't in the game. They'll be lucky to win two more games. They And, and look, I'm, I'm a Packers fan. I, I am. But this really exposes what the problems are on this team. And it's it's... It makes you wonder what the future of this team is like because Aaron Rodgers, how many more years does he have left? Good teams, New England, find a way to win. The Green Bay Packers lose, lose, lose. Is that too harsh? Don't even get me started on the Bucs. Don't even get me started on the Bucs. Okay, I've got that out of my system. This is a Packers free zone from here on in. I share your pain, and maybe I'm just little bit even more down than other people because i watched this with a group of folks and it was not pretty in the place i watched it in as people were just kind of uh, uh not good um today is election day it's going to be really interesting this is a there are a number of elections across the country that bear watching uh chris christie stepping down as the governor of new jersey um his seat is up the race that everybody is watching though is in virginia um the it's an open seat now for the governor and um there is a the lieutenant governor who's a Democrat is running. He is in a very hard fought race with Ed Gillespie, who is the former head of the Republican National Committee and was an advisor to President Bush. Um, polls show that the race is neck and neck. 
Um, be interesting. I mean, the Democrats are trying to turn this into a referendum on President Trump. Um, Gillespie has not run from Trump, although Trump hasn't really he hasn't campaigned for him at all. Very, very closely watched. Um, Democrats expect to win this particular seat, but I, I don't know. It could go either way, and I wouldn't be surprised if the results aren't known till late this evening. All right. We start off today's show like we start off every show. Three big things. Oh, and by the way, Governor Scott Walker, who announced on Sunday that he is running for re-election. The governor joins me at 1.35, and we're going to talk about the re-election campaign. And I also, I mean, specifically, I want to talk to the governor about what he hopes to accomplish in his third term. When Governor Walker came into office, I think he rolled out one of the most ambitious agendas of change, certainly in the history of this state, maybe in the history of this country. And, you know, after eight years, what what is left to accomplish? We're going to be talking about that with him. All right, but let's start off. Big story number one. And I am very glad that the, the, the veil is being pulled back on the whole gun control issue. Let's Let's just have an honest conversation here. Everybody, I think everybody, is appalled at the increase in the number of mass shootings that there have been in this country, the latest being you know, what happened in Texas on Sunday. There are characteristics. Um, people involved in these shootings are either, I don't know, the terrorists or the people, the terrorist sympathizers, or or people who are disturbed and mentally ill who somehow have access to firearms. And in general, with the mental illness, it's not people who have been found um, to be a danger to themselves. It's just people like this guy on Sunday where folks look at him and say, you know, he he was off. This was a violent guy. Um, We're not surprised he did something like this. You know, he just wasn't all there. It's that sort of instability. And then there's something that goes and it triggers people and, and they end up acting out. But whenever we talk about gun control issues, whether it's in the shooting at Mandalay Bay or the shooting in Texas or any of the other shootings, we, we always dance around what I think is the main issue here. Um, you, can, you can talk about, well, okay, maybe we should reduce the size of, of magazine clips. All right? Um, so I- instead of being able to have, you know, Ten, you should. You could only have like ten shots before you have to reload instead of twenty or thirty. But but at the end of the day, that's regardless of how you feel about that. That's dancing around the issue. Maybe you talk about the idea of well, we we shouldn't allow you know average citizens to buy semi-automatic rifles. Well, okay, then you have a handgun. All right, and you have a handgun that's capable of shooting nine or ten shots at once. The the truth of the matter is that you you do have these various gun control laws that are out there. And the reality is more laws probably don't solve the problem. So this is either something that we live with and recognize that this is what comes from a free society with a Second Amendment, or we take what is a broader approach. The Washington Post has a column today by a guy named Philip Bump that kind of pulls back what I think the left really wants. Here's the headline. There's only one surefire answer to the problem of mass shootings. And the story goes on and it talks about all the different people 
who were involved in the different shootings and what their races are and what their ages are, and it's almost always men, and sometimes it's young Arabic men, and other times it's young white men, and um, there, there's a history a lot of times of them being disaffected losers, and then there's the whole story about how you know, typically you look at these things and you see that there are issues with mental health problems, but at the same time, these mental health problems, like I say, aren't always diagnosed um, in, in time. It's just people go back and say, yeah, th- this guy was, you know, this guy, it's clear, you know, looking, knowing what we know now, it's clear that this guy was a problem. So here's the bottom line. You've got to read through the whole story, but this is the conclusion. In other words, the only surefire way to help prevent mass shootings or any shootings is to broadly limit access to guns in general. During the shooting in Sutherland Springs, Trump was in Japan. Last year, as many people died from gun violence in the entire country of Japan as died in the Texas shooting over the weekend. Japan has strict regulations on gun ownership. Japan also doesn't have ownership of firearms written into its constitution. Barring some broad changes to how the Second Amendment is interpreted, preventing mass shootings in the United States seem difficult. Um... Advocates for reducing gun violence, then, are left in an unfortunate position. There are often warning signs that can be addressed before the shooter decides to open fire, but there aren't often. The only consistent factor is that the shooter has access to a firearm. And then the story goes on to say, if we're sick of firearm violence, what we need to do, essentially, is we need to limit people's access to guns. All right, 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Have we reached a point? Because let's face it, passing more laws, restricting, I don't know, people's right to firearms, that's not going to, I don't think, solve the problem. You are, you know, dealing around the edges of these things. Should we confront this? Have we reached a point in our society where it is time to say private ownership of firearms well, doesn't make any sense anymore. Maybe that means repealing the Second Amendment. I don't know. But let's confront the issue. Is it time to take guns from people's hands in order to prevent or lessen the likelihood that things like what happened in Las Vegas or things like what happened in Texas on Sunday don't happen again. 414-799-1620. I'll tell you where I come down on this in just a minute, but we'll discuss. Should we start confiscating guns? 1219, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. 1222, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. The Bucks road trip carries them into Cleveland tomorrow as they look to snap. Oh, that's, I'm sorry, that game is tonight. You can tune in. 5.40 this evening. All right, 414-799-1620. There's an article in the Washington Post that just comes out and says what I think a lot on the left believe. The reality is you can have all the gun control laws that you want in the United States, but as long as people have access to firearms, there is always going to be the potential for these mass shootings. Um, if you have an AR-15, a semi-automatic rifle, that might up the death toll. But somebody can walk in with a bunch of handguns that fire repeatedly, and you can kill a bunch of people, too. The argument is it's time to start taking guns away from people, period. Do you buy that? 414-799-1620. Let's start with Tom in Watertown. Tom, good afternoon. Hey, Jeff. Hi, Tom. See, I don't think they should restrict the Second Amendment. I think people should own as many guns as they want. But what I'd like to say is that... People should have to have an insurance policy with them guns. Now, 
the reason being is, and if you have an AK-47, it would be a larger insurance policy, of course. And if you have bump stocks, it would be a larger insurance policy. For most but, okay, but how, uh, as a practical matter, how are you going to enforce that? I mean, what 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 what's going to happen? We we have rules that say people are supposed to drive cars with automobile insurance, and and they ignore that right and left. I mean, how how are you know how are you going to enforce that and, and actually make somebody do something like that? Well, if you go in to buy a gun, you're going to have to show your insurance for that gun, and and the reason being is you'd have compensation then for these victims' families. These victims' families, right now you end up where they're in the hospital, they're ending up, they have to pay for uh, funerals left and right, and Mm -hmm. uh, at least there would be something there for these people. If they do go off the handle, there's something there for these families. Um, Thanks for calling. Well, I guess, I I mean, I I just, as a practical matter, I mean, I'm trying to think about, you've got this this disaffected loser, for example, thrown out of the Air Force, a wife-beater, horrible human being who's mentally unstable um he's he's going to get an insurance policy i mean i guess see i I just don't see that as being practical and that's and i I don't i I mean i raise this issue because i think it's time to have this serious conversation i by the way am not advocating confiscation of firearms but but let's Let's pull back the cover and recognize that that's what we're really talking about here because everything else we're talking about when we say gun control, we're, we're, I think we're tinkering on, on the edges of things. Yes, you can limit the size of the capacity of a magazine, but that doesn't change the dynamic. That's not going to stop the mass shootings. What we need to talk about is whether, you know, we're willing to accept this in our country as one of the things that happened under the Second Amendment or are we willing to focus on other things like maybe being more aware of the issues of mental illness and things like that? 414-799-1620. Let's talk to Julie in New Berlin. Julie, you're on 620 WTMJ. Julie. Yes, hi there. Hi, Julie. I, what you, go ahead. Sorry. What do you think? What? I um, totally agree with you that basically um, I don't think that putting restrictions on um, owning firearms is going to prevent people from um, executing mass shootings and things like that. Mm-hmm. Just um, that it's, I think it's time that we hold individuals responsible for their actions instead of making a, a blanket law that will, you know, say you can't buy fire or mm-hmm. limiting the number of magazines or anything like that because anytime you make something illegal um there will be more of a demand for it i think but then okay but we talk about and and again i'm just i i i I want to try to ask some of the hard questions here we talk about making people you know individuals accountable or whatever a lot of these shootings that the 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 psycho ends up taking their own life anyways. I mean, so, you know, they make this decision and then they've already decided that they're going to go out in a blaze of glory either by taking their own life or dying in a hail of gunfire. I mean, is how how do you is it is it possible in this country to stop something like what happened in Las Vegas from happening or what happened in Texas the other day from happening? Can we do that? I think we could definitely take more preventative measures. Yeah. For example, like to get your conceal and carry license, I heard that it's, you only have to take one class for a couple or three, four hours. Yep. And I just think, you know, more education could help um, prevent and, you know, um, yeah. definitely selling firearms to 
individuals who are more responsible, I don't know, background checks. Mm-hmm. Those are just some ideas that I thought of. But No, no, um, and I, I think, I mean, thanks. I mean, and that's all, that, that's all fair and that, that's all well and good. But, I mean, so often, now in this particular case, in, in the guy in Texas, it sounds like because of what his what his military discharge was, the Air Force screwed up and he should not have been able to purchase firearms. But the guy in Las Vegas, it, it, it was fine. Lots of these killers, it, they don't have weapons that they have obtained illegally. Now, again, part of the problem is the way we handle mental illness in this country, where we essentially say we are not going to have government intervene unless and until we can demonstrate that somebody is a danger to themselves or to others. The problem, of course, being you don't know you you, you don't know definitively that they're a danger to themselves or others until. They, they get the gun, and they start shooting up places. 414-799-1620. Jennifer in Butler. Jennifer, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good afternoon. Good afternoon, Jeff. Um, see, I walk a tightrope on this one because I am um, living, I I'm, have a lot of veterans and current military members. I also have a family in Illinois that is so on the wrong side of the fence from where I am. Um, enforce what is on the books instead of cramming more reg- more regulations and more legislations down our throats. Yep. How about the ATF actually go after these criminals that have the illegal guns on the streets mm-hmm. like Chicago? Let's clean that up. Let's take care of the business that needs to be taken care of. And, you know, and along those lines, maybe get some more education for these people. Maybe the, 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 the jerk down in uh, the correction as you put it, the psycho in Texas, maybe he would have been caught if the military would have done what they yeah. needed to do. Yeah, I, no, th- I see. I see. That's where I start. But here's the reality: we're, we're not going to be confiscating firearms in this country. We're not going to repeal the Second Amendment, and so we have to figure out: are there other ways that we can deal with these things? I think it starts with completely revamping the way we look at mental illness in this country. And I'm, there's a movie called The Butterfly Effect, where you try to, uh, called Minority Report, where they try to identify, you know, people before they committed crimes. And I understand that's tough, but we need to take a hard look at mental illness. And when we have all these disaffected losers, maybe we need to start figuring out, okay, what's going on here, and do we need to watch them better? It's 1229. It's 1237, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. It is one of the most brazen acts of criminal behavior I have seen in a long time. It is caught on videotape, and we're going to be discussing it in about a half hour. It happened right around here the other day. If you want to see the videotape, of a robbery of a woman at a Walmart in Franklin. And it's really one of those things that, well, it just, there's so many different aspects of this to talk about. If you want to see the video I'm going to be referring to, if you text the word STEAL, S-T-E-A-L, not steel as in the metal, but steel as in she's loading her car up at the Walmart and you won't believe what happens to her, Text the word STEAL, S-T-E-A-L, to 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Um, we're going to be discussing that probably about 105, 135. We're scheduled to be joined by the governor of the state of Wisconsin, Scott Walker, who announced on Sunday that he is running for re-election, and he's uh, making the rounds of the different talk shows and all discussing you know, what he hopes to accomplish in his third term. But text the word STEAL, S-T-E-A-L, to 414-799-1620, the Accident Mortgage Talk and text line it is just an amazing and i don't say that in the gee that's really amazing i say 
amazing in that I cannot believe this stuff is going on around here since. 414-799-1628, the word steal. That's the accurate mortgage talk and text line. All right, big story number two. The whining continues. Now, voter ID in Wisconsin. I understand that you have people on the left who just think it is terrible that somebody should have to prove who they are before they vote. My point has always been the reality is you cannot participate in American society nowadays unless you have a photo ID for most cases. So if you have people on the fringes of society who aren't able to participate, what we should do if we were caring and compassionate is we should get them photo IDs. Now, I understand that there's people, for example, in nursing homes and things like that who've surrendered their driver's licenses. That's why, like, Wisconsin's voter ID law makes exceptions. You know, you, you don't need a photo ID if you're in a nursing home or something like that. All right, 2016. You've got a lot of this hand-wringing that's going on about voter participation being down, things like that. In Wisconsin, okay, this is the new study that was just released by this uber-lefty group called the Center for American Progress, which means let's take America far to the left. And, and they hate all these different voter ID laws. And so what they do is they focus on the 2016 election in Wisconsin. And what they find is that turnout among black voters in Wisconsin dropped about 19% in the 2016 election from 2012. And that's more than four times the national decline. All right, now let's, let's take a step back here. And let's remember what was going on in 2012 versus 2016 in the country and in Wisconsin. Barack Obama, the first African-American president who enjoyed record turnout from African-American voters both in 2008 and in 2012, Barack Obama was not on the ballot. Instead, you had Hillary Clinton who, number one, did not campaign in Wisconsin, and number two, well, among black voters and voters in general, Hillary was no Barack. Okay, so that's the dynamic that's going on. But the Center for American Progress says, well, you know, we've looked at this, and and the the numbers, there's a 20%, there's a 19% drop-off. This, this, in our mind, is the evidence that the voter decline in voter turnout um, was due to Well, you know, figure it out. It was due to photo ID. State Representative David Bowen, who used to be on the County Board of Supervisors, who's a left-wing blowhard, says the findings very much confirm the suspicions that myself and other Democrats have expressed that the requirement that you have to show some sort of photo ID has disproportionately hurt turnout among minority voters. It definitely had a significant impact on turnout in 2016. That's what Bowen says. All right, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I acknowledge stories like this just more to make me scream. Was voter turnout in the black community less in 2016 than in 2012? Absolutely. Was it in any way, shape, or form significantly because of voter ID? You will never convince me of that. What was the big difference? You had Hillary Clinton, an older white woman 
who did not inspire any sort of confidence at all among rank-and-file voters, particularly rank-and-file African-American voters, in contrast to Barack Obama. You want to understand why there's a 20% turnout differential between the two elections? I think it's Barack Obama and it's Hillary Clinton, and that's 95 98% of it. Voter ID is one of the other many factors contributing to that other 2%. But that's not the line that's being peddled. So let's tee this up. 414-799-1620. That's big story number two. All right, African-American turnout down by about 20% in Wisconsin. Was it because of photo ID or was it because Obama wasn't on the ballot? Hillary Clinton was. 414-799-1620. We discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. It's 1243. This is Jeff Wagner, and this is big story number two. 1246, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Once again, if you text the word STEAL, S-T-E-A-L, to 414-799-1620, I'll send you a video we'll be talking about in the next hour. One of the most brazen thefts I think I have ever seen, and that is saying something. Right now, big story number two, new study out by, again, a liberal activist group who's, again, trying to peddle the idea that making people prove who they are before they vote has led to huge examples of voter suppression. Um, they, they say, hey, look at the elections in 2016. The, the black vote in Wisconsin was down 19 percent from where it was in 2012. What happened in the interim? Well, you had voter ID. Therefore, that means voter ID must be suppressing the black vote. Really? Scott in New Berlin. Scott, you're on 620 WTMJ. Uh, yeah, it's very telling that you said it significantly probably didn't change anything. But the fact that we don't care that we may have disenfranchised one person from being able to vote. And you do have to prove who you are when you register to vote. You do have to have a photo ID. It's just at the voting when you don't. And if it was guns, we can't pass a single gun law in fear of one person not being able to get gun and ammunition at the second they want it. But we'll pass laws that might disenfranchise that you admit to say that it disenfranchises people from being able to vote well like, I, when, when did i when did i admit okay, when did i admit that it disenfranchises people i mean you you have to you, you have to get you got to get a photo id so you think that we should just anybody that can come in they should be able to claim who they whoever they are and they don't have to provide a photo id to register to vote they absolutely should and you do in wisconsin you always have how about to oh, vote man. itself? Uh, what, what is no, the once you're what is the to vote? Well, but how do you I know under, that it worked for 158 years, 170 years, and we're not solving any problem? There is no voter fraud, election fraud. I'd love to look at that. Well, I'd love to look at election fraud as, as well. But th- this idea, I, I, this idea that oh, it's just terrible. Now, look, I quite candidly, and I have said this repeatedly, if you really want to deal with election fraud, I would look at same-day registration, where I think there is much greater potential for abuse. But but having said that, proving who you are should not be that difficult to do. And many, many states have photo ID requirements, and it's not that big an issue. And what we've done is we've made it very, very easy to get a photo ID. Now, I understand there's the unicorn out there. I I understand that there's the 80-year-old lady who's never had a photo ID in her life, and she's not living in the nursing home, and the records where she was born in South Carolina, the courthouse is burned down, and so she has problems. So I understand that there might be this isolated case. You might have the unicorn 
popcorn here and there. But to suggest seriously that the reason that you had the black vote that was 20 percent down from 2016 to 2012 was because of voter suppression as a result of the IDs. Oh, for goodness sakes. I mean, really, really, people. Vincent on the northwest side. Vincent, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good afternoon. Good afternoon, Jeff. You know, I, I don't agree with the voter ID, but the, but it's here, so so we have to deal with it. The fact is that the black vote wasn't depressed depressed in, depressed in, in, in 2016 because of voter ID. It was depressed because Hillary Clinton ignored Wisconsin, ignored the black community. Well, right, and she was not. I mean, Barack Obama for in the black community, and I understand this, was a transformational sort of candidate. You had people in 2008 and 2012 who said, gee, in my lifetime, I never thought we were going to have an African-American president, and we are going to run through brick walls to vote for him. And that, that, that that's great. Hillary Clinton did not inspire the same type of reaction in general. And then, like you say, she didn't even bother coming to campaign in Wisconsin. The, 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 the campaign to get out the vote between Barack Obama and, and, and Hillary Clinton was, was like night and day. I didn't receive one, one brochure from Hillary Clinton. So why, 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 why does she think that, she, that people are just going to go out and by osmosis and go vote for her? The fact is, if she didn't come here, she ignored us, so the vote was down. It wasn't because of vote ID. Right, exactly. Thanks for calling. Now, again, I, I am willing to concede that... You know, again, there are there, there are the handful of unicorns there. And if you were to say to me, okay, Jeff, we think that we, we found 10 or 15 people in the state of Wisconsin, regardless of what their race are, who made legitimate good faith efforts to try to find photo IDs and, and to get photo IDs and because of – this administrative snafu or that administrative snafu or there were too many hoops to jump through, they, they weren't able to do it. Uh, okay, and, and I, if, if you were to say 10 or 15 people, I, I would probably say, all right, yes, now what we need to do figuring moving forward is how can we make sure that those 10 or 15 people get their IDs so they are prepared for the elections next February and next April. That that's, I would concede that. I would acknowledge that. This idea that, oh, you know, we had 20% fewer voters, African-American voters, uh, from one year to the next, and and it must have been because of voter ID. No, 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 no. And as long as the Democrats continue to tout that, we were victimized. Instead of recognizing that you had a really, really lousy candidate, you're going to end up missing the point. What we should be doing moving forward is, again, identifying those unicorns, the people that made legitimate good faith efforts to try to get a photo ID and were unable to do it, however few of them there might be, and making sure that we solve that problem. But this isn't an institutional problem. Coming up next, big story number three, food stamps and how we deal with trying to get people to eat better. Stick around. It's 1252. This is Jeff Wagner. It's 1256. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ, voice of the Green Bay Packers. Wayne Larry just stopped in, grew, and he said, he congratulated me on my wedding. I, I was actually watching the Packers game at this charity event in West Bend, and everybody was coming up and congratulating me on getting married because if anybody anybody who knows my wife knows that I have once again, to use the football analogy, outkicked my coverage and very, very lucky there. So I, I always appreciate that. You know, Wayne was still smiling a day after, uh, 12 hours after that, that game. It was always good to see that. All right. Uh, the word is steal, S-T-E-A-L. If you want to see one of the most incredible videos of a crime ever, it comes from Franklin just the other day. We're going to be talking about that in just a few minutes. Right now, though, it is big story number three. All right. The way the 
food stamp program works. And I mean, they don't call it, they call it food share now, but it's food stamps, all right? The, the way it works is it's federal money that decides, federal money decides what people can buy and what people can't, and the federal government and the state government then split the cost of running the program. But it's the federal government that sets the rules. There is a bill moving through the assembly which would take um, several hundred thousand dollars of taxpayer money, and it would create a test program to give 2,000 families who get food share benefits a discount if they buy healthy foods for 10 months in the hopes that it would encourage them to eat better. So in other words, I guess if you go buy vegetables and things like that, as opposed to crap, you know, you'll, you'll get an incentive. You know, they'll, they'll give you some extra taxpayer money. This is embraced by Democrats and it's embraced by some Republicans. The idea being we, we want people who are, you know, particularly dependent on food stamps, which tend to be low income folks. We want them to eat healthier. So here's what we'll do. We'll give them an incentive to do this. Let me just say this. I don't have a problem with this bill. I, I, I guess I, I don't. And if you want to try it on a pilot program, that's fine. But let us be honest here. And this is what I want to talk to you about with big story number three. This is not the way to go about getting people who are on food stamps to eat healthier. Previous efforts to reform this in Wisconsin have failed because Democrats have objected. But the truth of the matter is, I think it is ridiculous, with a capital R, to allow people to buy crap with their food stamps. I mean, and, and again, if, if this makes me this evil conservative, I'm willing to be it. But, but the truth of the matter is, if we are trying to encourage healthy eating, if you are buying stuff with your own money, I don't think I have any right to tell you what you should buy or what you shouldn't buy. But on the other hand, if you are buying stuff on my money, I think, in this case, it's the taxpayers, we have every right as taxpayers to put certain restrictions on what people can buy. So why in the world do we allow people to buy sugary soda with food stamps? Why do we allow people to buy junk food? Why do we allow people to buy cookies and cakes and things like that? Why don't we put reasonable limits on what you can buy, including no crap? Is that that? Un- and I understand, like, the Grocers Association doesn't like it because they make their money by selling, you know, crap to people. But at the same time, isn't this a reasonable restriction? Okay, I want to open up the phone lines. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right, is it really that unreasonable to say, if you're going to be using food stamps, that there are some limits on what you can buy? 414-799-1620. We discuss after the news. It's 1259. It's 109. This is Jeff Wagner. Governor Walker joins me in about 25 minutes to talk about his re-election effort. Right now, it's big story number three. There's a bill moving through the assembly which would give people cash incentives if you're on food stamps to use to make healthy choices. And I don't know if it's going to give you money back or give you extra money if you buy healthy stuff. And that's all well and good. Um, My point, though, and this has been a recurring theme of mine, I do not understand why we do not put limits on food stamps and the things that you can purchase with food stamps. If we are concerned about people making healthy choices, why do we allow people to buy junk food and sugary sodas and things like that with food stamps? We don't allow you to buy cigarettes. We don't allow you to buy um, alcohol, for example. 
why not put limits on your ability to use food stamps for the junk food? Nobody's saying you can't go out and buy junk food, but you have to do it with your own money, not with the food stamps. 414-799-1620. Let's talk to Jennifer in Milwaukee. Hi, Jennifer. Hi. Um, I guess what I was just saying is that, you know, I, uh, I have a friend that, um, you know, her husband works, um, and, you know, his what he does is his, his um, job, you know, pays the rent and the electricity, mm-hmm. and they depend on the food stamps, um, you know, to pay for the food, um, you know, and they don't use it to, you know, to go and buy junk food and stuff. You know, they have um, four kids, and... They just recently had their daughter's birthday, and if they wouldn't have had the food stamps, you know, their little girl basically wouldn't have had a birthday. I don't buy that, you Jennifer. Know? I'm sorry, I don't believe that. I mean, do, do they do they never, is there never like a bottle of wine or a six-pack of beer around the house? Do they never, you know, go out to eat? I mean, it... it no, it, they really don't. Well, I mean, he he works his ass off to pay the bills. Yeah, and... and, and, and you know, and... They they basically wouldn't of I mean they they use they use the food stamps to buy a cake they you know they don't use it you know like I get a lot of people use the food stamps and abuse it right. I totally get that and but you know there are people that don't there are people that that really need them well, and, and I'm not talking them. but but see Jennifer thanks I'm not talking about taking food stamps away from people I am saying that why don't we if, if our goal really is to help people and help them make better decisions, why in the world are we giving people money to buy buy crap? And again, you're, you're using the extreme example. Oh, this little girl wouldn't have a birthday party, and how how cruel could that be? Well, okay, that that's the the extreme exception. At the same time, I'm I'm, I'm sorry, I I got to believe somewhere along the line, your friends have bought a six pack of beer, or you know, have some money independent from the food stamps that they you know could use to because there's all sorts of things you can't buy with food stamps now. So okay, maybe you take that extra twenty or twenty five dollars and you buy that that cake but to me i guess that extreme situation doesn't justify the the larger point because there's a lot of people out there that are making these bad choices when it comes to the things that they end up choosing to purchase if we really cared about if we really wanted to get people particularly lower income people um eating healthier and stuff wouldn't we do with the food stamp program like we already do with the WIC program, you know, like the women and children things, where, where we limit the type of things that you can buy? And, again, I'm not saying if you want to go out and buy a case of Mountain Dew, okay, fine, go out and buy a case of Mountain Dew, but use the food stamps for, I don't know, the, the meat and the vegetables and the things like that. I mean, isn't that doesn't that be isn't that something that makes sense and then you can make your choice if, if you want if you've got whatever extra money that you have you can say okay well we could go out to the tavern or you know we could you know we, we could buy the cake or we could buy the cookies you can still do this 414-799-1620 um let's talk to Lori in milwaukee Lori, you're on 620 wtmj hello oh good afternoon jeff hi Lori. Um, well, I'm just going to say I disagree with giving a discount to healthy foods with the, the food stamp cards. Mm-hmm. Um, I have an alternate proposal, I guess. It's like, why not make um, just only a certain percentage of your allotment for that month 
available to buy certain foods, like maybe 10 to 15%. I don't disagree with, you know, you can't buy, you know, a box of cookies or a cake or something if you want dessert for your family, but only a certain percentage of Mm -hmm. your monthly allotment can be used on that kind of food. Yeah, yeah, I mean, and and, and maybe that's a way to to start, I I guess. At the same time, Lori, um, I mean, most people who use food stamps, it's it's not – that's not the exclusive thing. I mean, the food stamps are there as a as a supplement to you know what their budgets are. Mm-hmm. So I guess I mean I, I, nobody's arguing that you, you shouldn't be able to buy you know a, a thing of cookies or something. But- I guess what what I'm saying is like you know in, in my own cooking, <laughs> you know sometimes you like, you need a bag of tortilla chips or something to mm-hmm. crunch on top of a casserole. Right, and that could that could go either way. That could be junk food or it could be an ingredient. Right, right, and I guess, and um, I, and so I understand. So, right, no, I get what you're saying. I you're do. saying put a put a limit on it. Like a, if if you get four hundred dollars a month, twenty percent could be used for for the junk food, and 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 maybe that's a decent way to to start to try to limit it. I mean, look, let's face it. Here's part of the part of the reason this doesn't happen is you've got some powerful lobbyists, for example, with the grocery association and things like that, who make their money. Where is the profit margin in food? Well, it, it's not in the vegetables. It's not in the fruits. That's not where, for example, the grocers make their their money. That markup is really low. It's in the crap. It's in the cookies. It's in the potato chips. I mean, that's where there's the huge markup, and that's that's why that's the money to be made. And that's why whenever these things come up and you get this huge institutional thing and you've got the Grocers Association, for example, saying, oh, we don't want to limit the choices that, you know, the poorer people have. It's not about that at all. It's all about, hey, we want to make a bunch of money because if we can sell you that case, of Mountain Dew, we make a fortune on that. If we sell you the six oranges and the six apples, we don't make that much dough. 414-799-1620. Let's talk to, um, let's see, let's talk to Cindy in Waukesha. Cindy, you're on 620 WTMJ. Hello. Hi, Jeff. How are you today? I'm good. What do you think? I guess I start with, what do you call crap? Because... Cheetos, Chips Ahoy. Because I have more of a problem with people eating foods that are full of GMOs or are non-organic. I mean, there's more sugar in juice than there is in soda. Mm -hmm. And none of that is being taken into consideration. I can recall, I don't remember if it was your show, but on your radio station, a couple couple months back, maybe a year, that certain fish, certain shellfish Mm -hmm. should not be permitted to be purchased with a food stamp. Um, that, you know, why are these people having, you know, beef tenderloin? It's like, I'm sorry, I just saw at my grocery store it was cheaper to buy tender beef tenderloin than it was to buy ground beef. Pretty soon we're going to say, you can buy tomatoes. Well, no, I, I, you're taking it to the extreme. Yeah. No, no, you're taking it to the ex- extreme. You're, you're saying that by, by wanting to restrict the ability of somebody to go in and use food stamps to buy six cases of Mountain Dew, that means if you limit that, the next thing all people are going to be able to do is buy like oranges and apples and tomatoes. No, isn't there a, a reasonable accommodation in there? I mean, isn't there a happy medium? But you're not suggesting that. You're suggesting that no crap be allowed. That's right. Yes, I, I am. Right, right. I, I am. No, that thanks. For, I wow, mean, the uh, world is wonderful. Well, the happy the happy medium is that you use you use the money that the taxpayers give you to buy 
what I think it's really intended for. Okay, you buy and, and food stamps. First of all, serve they exist as a supplement to people, right? So, uh, and you know, people who get food stamps often get other forms of assistance, but they serve a, as a supplement. So here, what the taxpayers are going to do is they are going to you know underwrite the basic stuff. So you go out, you, you buy you buy the hamburgers, you 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 buy the hamburger, you buy the different kinds of fish, you buy the bread, you buy the fruits. If you want to buy the crap, and yes, we know what we're talking about with crap. If you want to buy that junk food, the stuff that the liberals are drive are, are crazy about, the stuff that the liberals are saying, hey, we got to get rid of soda because it's contributing to obesity and it's contributing to all these things. Yeah, I mean, I'm sorry. If, if you want to defend using food stamps to buy multiple cases of Mountain Dew and Chips Ahoy and Oreos and lots of things of Cheetos and Doritos, well, okay, fine. But candidly, I, I think I'm on the side of the angels with this one. I guess my question would be, what? Don't don't you care about people's eating habits? And if we're so concerned, like Michelle Obama was, about obesity and issues like that, why should the taxpayers be underwriting people buying what I will describe as crap food? Just saying. It's 120. This is Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. It's 122, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ this Saturday's Veterans Day. And WTMJ wants to say thank you. Join our John McCure. He is going to be at the internationally famous Mineshaft Restaurant in Hartford for a special Heroes Breakfast from 8 to 10 on Saturday. Are you yourself a vet, or do you know someone who is and deserves an invite? Then head to the Mineshaft Restaurant Saturday morning between 8 and 10 and enjoy a delicious Heroes Breakfast on the house. It all starts at 8 o'clock Saturday morning with our very own John McCure, a special Veterans Day Heroes Breakfast with the Mineshaft Restaurant in Hartford at 620 WTM from 620 WTMJ. How cool is that? Stephen West Bend sends me a text. Did your last caller just say beef tenderloin is cheaper than ground beef? If that's the case, I'm eating beef tenderloin all the time. Yeah, look, I, actually, I think what she was referring to is a couple of years ago, we, we had somebody sent me a, it, it was a receipt from a a grocery store um, right on the Wisconsin Upper Peninsula border. And it was paid for, I, I, I want to say, it was like $146, all paid for with food share stuff. And, and honest to God, it was lobster tails, filet, and can, and cases of Mountain Dew. That, that's why, that's why I've, I, I've got that reference in mind. It was, and, and it was just a staggering type of thing uh, to me that th- this is the type of stuff that we allow, especially when we're so obsessed with we want people to eat healthy, we want to have taxes on sugary soda, we want to get people away from all these different types of things, and yet it's somehow evil if we decide that with taxpayer dollars, we, we want to put some restrictions on what people buy. And again, for most people, food share, food stamps, are, are not their exclusive form of uh, that they don't that's not all that they have to buy buy food it is a matter of choices so like our first caller and i respect what she says oh my my girlfriend wouldn't have been able to have a birthday cake if you put any limits on being able to buy cakes and cookies and wouldn't this have been terrible well i think if you were being honest okay do they never buy six packs of beer do they never buy cigarettes do they never buy magazines or these other things that aren't do they never spend a dime on any sort of food, it's just always like a question of of choices that are out there. But actually, the last twenty minutes does show how how difficult this is because there's a lot of people out there who say, "Well, we shouldn't put any limits at all 
on you know what people do with taxpayer paid dollars and the food share programs. I just don't I don't agree. And it seems to me it is the height of inconsistency to argue that, hey, we need school lunches to be healthier. We we need to we need to get all the the, the junk out of the schools because we're poisoning our kids with this stuff at the same time to say, OK, but here, take food stamps and go buy as many Cheetos and cases of Mountain Dew as as you want. Just kind of uh, saying, have a text here. Go to Woodman's in the Mon- in Menominee Falls. It's it's a joke what people are buying. <laughs> look at look at some of the carts. Well, um, you know that there is that factor that's there. All right, I, I've been touting this all day. Um, what we're going to do is we're going to take this up. But I, I've got Governor Walker scheduled to join me in less than nine minutes, and, and then I, I do want to talk about this video that I we've been sharing since this, the program started. Um, if you text the word steal, S-T-E-A-L, to 414-799-1620, which is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line, we'll share it with you. In addition, if you follow me on, on Twitter, um, it's at Jeff Wagner 620 I, I send out a number of tweets to try to give you an idea of some of the things we're going to talk about on the program. I've also got a link to this as well. That was one of the tweets that went out earlier today. Um, so that's coming up as well. It, it's just It's an object lesson of how dangerous things are on the mean streets of Milwaukee County. All right, that and the governor coming up. It's 126. This is Jeff Wagner. Stick around. It's 134. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. WTMJ lets you experience Wisconsin's finest supper clubs at half price. This week, our featured supper club is the Golden Mast Inn on Okachi Lake, which is... An absolutely tremendous place. Family run, the Golden Mast has been one of the area's top restaurants for over 40 years and offers delicious traditional German and European fare in a truly unique setting. This Friday, this Friday at 1 o'clock, you can get a $50 certificate for only $25. These do tend to go quickly. Um, We only have 50 that are available. Get yours this Friday starting at 1 o'clock by heading to WTMJSupperClub.com. Yeah, the Golden Mast um, on Okachi Lake, just the food is absolutely outstanding. There's no question about that. But on top of that, um, the view is spectacular. That has been around for over 40 years. It's one of my very favorite places if you're eating in Lake Country. And uh, like I say, we've got uh, this Friday, 1 o'clock. Fifty dollars certificate for only twenty-five bucks. You cannot go wrong with that. Mark the tape on this. I do not say this very often, but but mark the tape. Tom Barrett is absolutely correct. Um, the Common Council, Milwaukee Common Council, which is dysfunctional, but admittedly not as dysfunctional as the Milwaukee County Board. The Common Council wants the power to be able to fire the city's police chief and fire chief. Um, Right now, essentially, it is the Fire and Police Commission that makes the decision as to, first of all, who gets hired and then who gets fired. The Common Council wants to be able to remove the either chief, either the police chief or the fire chief, on a two-thirds vote. Okay, so that's the deal. They pass this. Tom Barrett vetoes it, and what happened today is that the Milwaukee, uh, again, the Common Council overrode Tom Barrett's veto, saying, we want the authority to do this. Now, this doesn't mean it happens. 
all it means is that now Milwaukee can go to the state legislature because the, the way police chiefs are hired is, is governed in part by, by state law. So now the city of Milwaukee can go and say, look, we, we want you to change the law to give the common council the, the power to fire. I have said for the longest time that I think it's, it's way past time for Milwaukee police chief Ed Flynn to move on. I just I think in many respects he's kind of dug in his heels. Now he's starting to to change in the face of a disciplinary action and things like that. Um, you know you got to change the pursuit policy and things like that. But but having said that, the idea of giving the common council the ability to fire police chiefs to me is a very very scary thing. Forget about Tom Barrett. Forget about Ed Flynn. Try to think five years into the future. And imagine if you have a majority of the Common Council that's like like crazy lefties, and you've got a law and order police chief who comes into town. Again, try to imagine that scenario. Law and order police chief, bunch of crazy lefties on the Common Council, and you end up in a situation where the... The members of the Common Council decide, we don't want this law and order police chief. We've got our individual constituents, and they're, they're complaining that too many of this type of person is being arrested or too many of people of this type of person is being arrested, and we're hearing from our constituents, and they don't like it. So, you know, we don't care about the mayor. We are going to take matters into our own hands. I think it is very, very dangerous to turn this control over to the individual members of the Common Council and entrust them with that. And, I, and again, I'm not looking at Mayor Tom Barrett and Police Chief Ed Flynn. I'm trying to look at the big picture, you know, moving forward, because you might say, yeah, I think it's time for Ed Flynn to go. And we, we'd like to use our pressure because we don't think he's been responsive and we want to get rid of Ed Flynn. Okay, well, you know, be, be careful what you do, because, yes, you might decide you're going to use that to get rid of Ed Flynn. Well, what about the next police chief or the police chief after that or the police chief after that? Ultimately, the mayor is accountable because the mayor is the one that has the say, really, on, on who the fire and police commission is. And if you have a city where crime is out of control or the police chief is not responsive or any of those different types of things, what happens is that, again, it becomes an issue in a mayoral race. And if the citizens, in this case of Milwaukee, are unhappy that the mayor you know, is not dealing with crime appropriately – and they're unhappy with the Fire and Police Commission, you know what people do? They vote out the mayor. They vote out the mayor, and then you get some sort of transition. So right now, Tom Barrett, or whoever the next mayor is going to be, they're the ones that are ultimately held accountable. And I just think by changing this law to give the Common Council or a 10-member majority of the Common Council the ability to decide whether a police or a fire chief comes or goes, I think Mark the tape on this. Tom Barrett is absolutely right. There is politics involved now in the selection of the police chief. There's no question about it. But by allowing the Common Council the authority to fire moving forward, that takes a job and it exponentially increases the politics that are involved. All right, it's 140. This is Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. We'll be right back. It's 143. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. On Sunday, he formally announced that he was running for a third four-year term as the governor of the state of Wisconsin. We are joined by the governor now, Scott Walker. Governor, good afternoon. Hey, Jeff. Great to be with you. Thanks for having me on. First of all, a little bit belated happy birthday, huh? Hey, thank you. In fact, <laughs> last night at the game, uh, 
we traveled around the state. We've been in La Crosse, uh, Eau Claire, Wausau, Rhinelander, then Green Bay. We tailgated, and they had a little belated party. They they gave me a uh, Packers number 50 jersey with my name on the back because I turned the big 5-0 this week. Yeah, those zero-year birthdays kind of get you, huh? <laughs> Yeah. Hey, hey, Governor, let, let me ask you this. When when you first came to office uh, seven years ago, I think people could make an argument that you started with about as ambitious an agenda as certainly any governor in the history of the state, maybe any governor in the nation, Act 10, all these different types of things. After two terms, what do you have left to accomplish? Well, I think there is more to be done, and and you're right. I mean, not only an ambitious agenda, but look at what we've done. We've got more people employed than ever before. We've got major corporations like Foxconn and Haribo coming to the state, companies like Generac and others growing, plus plenty of small businesses we're helping. We've got schools, uh, historic levels of support for K-12 through system and high scores and graduation rates. We've got the number one quality-ranked healthcare systems in the nation. We've cut taxes by $8 billion to the end of this budget, income and property taxes alone both. Now, so we've done all these things, but I just think a couple key areas, there's more to be done. Looking ahead, we want to make sure that everyone is a part of the economic recovery, that everyone who wants a job can only find a job but a career. We want to make sure that looking ahead, that every child has access to a great education and that we trust parents to be a part of making the right choice for that. We want to ensure that there's more uh, an increase in household income so that people can keep more of their hard-earned take-home pay through lower taxes and lower cost of regulation. Sadly, we need to do more to take on the opioid and, and illegal drug problem that we see in not only in the state but in this country. And finally, the fifth big thing is that we want to do even more to make our government, our state government in particular, more effective, more efficient, and more accountable to the people of this state. So I believe over the next four years, we can do even more to continue to move the state of Wisconsin forward. Yeah, Governor, there were some of the usual suspects who, who followed your campaign announcement on, on, on Sunday and said, well, he, he didn't talk about Foxconn. And they thought, is this is this the governor backtracking on, on Foxconn? Um, are you still as huge a supporter of Fox, uh, Foxconn as, as you have been since we've been discussing this over the last several months? Yeah, absolutely. And, and my point the other day was that, to me, and I just mentioned it's a huge announcement, but it's in context of a bunch of great announcements, not only from Haribo, which is going to make gummy bears, but uh, Generac company that's already at Waukesha and Wausau adding hundreds and hundreds of or excuse me, at uh, Whitewater and at Wausau, adding hundreds and hundreds of jobs and companies all around the state. But we want small companies that are adding, you know, 5 and 10 and 13 jobs to prosper as well. And the irony is the naysayers and some of their allies in the press We'll jump to any conclusion on just about anything out there. The simple fact is we've got so much good news, so many good things happening in this state. Uh, it's hard to pick and highlight which of the things we're doing in a campaign announcement. In the case of Foxconn, it's as simple as this week. Later this week, if everything goes out as expected, tomorrow in front of the Economic Development Corporation Board, we'll be signing a contract that will lead to an investment of $10 billion and the eventual creation of 13,000 direct jobs for Foxconn, plus millions of dollars of benefit to employers all around the state because of both construction and then eventually supply chain. So, yeah, without a doubt, there's no no way, no how we're backing away from Foxconn. We didn't do it for political reasons, so we didn't highlight it. 
in our political campaign kickoff because it's one of a number of great things that are happening in the state. Governor, I know one of the issues that's going to develop over the course of the next year in the campaign ha- has to do with transportation spending. In In the current budget, that was one of the big fights that was going on in the legislature. Obviously, we want good roadways. Um, we want to see the roads expand. And the problem, of course, is how do you end up paying for that? What do you see as being the future of transportation spending under the next couple of years of a Walker administration? Well, we'll do well. We need to make sure we're making reasonable uh, investments. And, uh, put in perspective, through the end of this budget, during the eight years I will have served in office, once this budget is done, we'll spend about, invested about $3 billion more in the transportation that Jim Doyle did in the eight years he served in office. So I don't think anyone, uh, Republican or Democrat alike, or anywhere that state or local government can in any way significant dollars into our infrastructure for transportation. We're just trying to do so that manages the burden on our taxpayers. And my goal, not only transportation, but everything else, is should I have another term, is to continue to uh, make sure the burden up. And in particular, I'd like to continue to see our tax burden go down so that people can keep more of their take-home pay. I think, you know, along with that, to keep the economy going, yeah, we have to have a good transportation infrastructure system. The budget we just signed this next year, people will see in cities and towns and villages and counties across the state, they're getting a bigger increase in transportation aids than most of them have seen in anywhere from 15 to 20 years. And so we're going to do that. We're going to invest in our state highways and the rehab there. We're just not going to spend maybe as many billions of dollars as we have in the past on mega projects and instead focus on maintaining the existing infrastructure. Governor, I, I remember as we were going back to where we started our conversation, we were talking about the ambitious agenda that you came into office with, and there were a lot of people that after you rolled out Act, Act 10 predicted this was going to be the end of Scott Walker and his political campaign and his political career is going to end. All right, looking at Act 10, has that been has that been a success? Are you glad you did it? Would you do it again? Absolutely, without uh, without hesitation. And you know, Jeff, you followed me for years. We did this not because of any group or any policy, uh, policy institute or, or even any sort of politics or supporters. We did this because I've been in county government for many years and, and saw the negative impact that the uh, the big government special interest had, not only on the taxpayers, but even on the workers. and wanted to change that. And I'm proud of the fact that we've saved uh, state and local taxpayers over $5 billion. It's why we've been able to not only cut taxes, but still this year, for example, make historic investments into K-12 education. That's because of what I call the reform dividend. And uh, the reason why I think we're going to have a significant race again uh, come next summer is because the big government special interest groups in Washington in particular don't like the, the fact that we took power out of their hands and put it firmly into the hands of the hardworking taxpayers of this state. And so they'll do just about anything. Uh, to take us out, not just for Wisconsin's sake, but to send a message to others out there. It's why we hope people will join us as they have been all day today and yesterday and the day before. It will be hopefully between now and next November 6th. Join us in the grassroots. Uh, people can join us at scottwalker.com and sign up to be a part of our army of grassroots volunteers who will counter all those negative attacks from Washington-based money groups. 
Now, Governor, I, I read the, read this account. I just want to get you on the record on the program. Um, my understanding is you've made a commitment that when you are reelected a year from today, as a matter of fact, when the election is, it is your intention to uh, serve that complete term. Is that is that correct? Absolutely. And I, I, I got to tell you, one of my great joys in life, uh, beyond the uh, marriage to my wonderful wife, Tonette, and uh, the birth of our two great sons, one of my greatest honors beyond that has been serving as governor and i i just so love traveling this state seeing how proud people are of their of their families of their homes of their schools of their employers of their communities of their churches just their their places of worship I, I i just want to be a part of that and i know there's more work to be done and i'm committed to serving four more years to see that through so that for matt and alex and all the others and their generation and those to come that uh, the reforms we enacted will, will be even better for them than they were for us. Governor Scott Walker, thanks for spending some time with me today. I'm sure we'll be talking to you quite a bit over the course of the next year. Absolutely, Jeff. Thanks for having me on. Have a good one. Yeah, you, you as well. That's uh, that's Governor Scott Walker. Yeah, one of the things, I, and that's why I started off this like I did, because one of the things that, that happens sometimes with politicians, it's not this is not a criticism, it applies to conservatives and liberals as well, is that people come into office with ideas and, you know, this fire in their belly and these agendas that they want to advance. And what happens as time goes on is that fire kind of fades. Um, Governor Walker, and I mean this sincerely, I, I think when he took office, I don't know that there was a more reform-oriented governor in the country, and probably probably not, and this includes Tommy Thompson, in the history of the state of Wisconsin. He had an aggressive agenda that he has been able to largely, not completely, but largely have implemented. So, I mean, my question has always been, okay, you, you've had... You've had the whole stuff with Act 10 and all the different reforms. You've served two terms as governor. Do you still have that fire in your belly? Do you still have that agenda? And, and you know what? There is no question in my mind that when it applies to Scott Walker, the, the answer is is yes. Um, there is much more that he has that he wants to accomplish. Now, maybe it's not going to be as big a series of things as it was with Act 10, but but I, I think there's, there's no question that he believes the state of Wisconsin is on the right track when it comes to any objective sort of measure. And look, there, there's always going to be people who nitpick. That, that's that's the thing. And that's why I thought it was so interesting, the coverage of his campaign announcement. Well, he didn't mention Foxconn. Maybe that means he's backing off. Well, that's not been my understanding. I think you know people are really proud about Foxconn, and I think there is, again, there's naysayers out there, and there's people who don't like Governor Walker who want to see this state fail. But, I mean, I think five or ten years from now, you're going to be looking back at Foxconn and the effect it's had, and you say, you know, just, just wow. But this idea that they'd be backing away from it, no, I think you're going to see that and some of the other manufacturing companies and some of the other businesses that have been brought here, you're going to see that as, as again, some of the cornerstones of, of the governor's re-election campaign. But going back to where I was starting with, the, the issue is always, is somebody, do you have more to offer? And that it's not a criticism necessarily of politicians, but sometimes people come in with these big ideas and then they just kind of burn out or, or whatever, or just get caught up in what President Trump would call the swamp or whatever, and then kind of lose sight of why they ran for elected office in the first place. Scott Walker is not that guy. It's 155. This is Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. 
Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Yeah, it sounds like the roadways are a mess. We'll uh, continue to keep you updated on that. WTMJ lets you experience Wisconsin's finest supper clubs at half price this week. Our featured supper club is the Golden Mast Inn on Okachi Lake. Family run, the Golden Mast has been one of the area's top restaurants for over 40 years and offers delicious traditional German and European fare in a truly unique setting this Friday. At 1 o'clock, get a $50 certificate for only 25 bucks. These go quickly. We only have 50 available. Get yours this Friday starting at 1 o'clock. I will remind you, head to WTMJSupperClub.com. All right, after the news, I promise, we're going to start off with this video I've been talking about all day, and then mining in the state, the county board budget, and really, what is Barrett thinking? Stick around. It's 159. It's 208. This is Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Uh, alert for political junkies. Uh, I, I was talking about with Governor Walker a few minutes ago. The, the election. The election is a year from today. But this is election day in certain parts of the country. Um, you have a race in New Jersey. Chris Christie, long-serving governor of New Jersey, a Republican. He's uh, stepping down, of course. And uh, there's the race to replace him. That's gonna, that seat's going to go Democratic. The, the, the race to really watch is the race for the governor of Virginia. The the Democrat, and, and right now the seat is held by a, a Democrat, Terry McAuliffe. The, the Democrat who is running to replace McAuliffe is the lieutenant governor, um, Ralph Northam. He is running against Ed Gillespie, who's the former chairman of the Republican National Committee, was an advisor to President Bush. Um, this is... It's it's a very close race. That the latest polls, and again, this is going to be a test of polling. Like like I, I said yesterday, the, the the pollsters haven't learned anything. Well, everybody agrees that one of the reasons they've been getting things, the public pollsters have been getting things so wrong, is that they've overaccounted for education. In other words, what they've done is um, when they're trying to determine who's likely to vote, they figure that people with college degrees or advanced degrees beyond that are much more likely to vote than people um, w- without those degrees. And that that's part of the reason they, they badly missed the Trump uh, election because uh, there were a lot of people who didn't have the college degrees but turned out, and they turned out in record numbers to vote for now President Trump. So anyhow, um, the, the polls continue to show the Democrat with a slight edge, but it's all within the margin of error. Virginia is an interesting state. In some respects, it's like Wisconsin. Because you have a state that is geographically very Republican, but it's got enclaves that are heavily Democratic. For example, um, the, the parts of northern Virginia that that uh, border on, on Washington, D.C., very, very Democratic. Um, lots of government workers and those type of things. And when Terry McAuliffe won four years ago, he racked up huge huge vote totals in these heavily Democratic areas. So that's one of the things, I mean, the question is going to be, um, you know, how how does he do? Does does the Democrat, are, are, the, are the liberal, white-collar voters who live around Washington, D.C., are, are they motivated by this kind of anti-Trump fervor? Do they turn out? And, and again, we'll, I, I'm not making a prediction. I haven't followed the race that closely. But it is going to be one of these things that's sort of interesting to see. Uh, Donald Trump, has he has not campaigned in the state. 
Um, but a lot of the tactics and a number of the issues that uh, the Republican candidate is, is using, Ed Gillespie's using, are, are things that have, you know, resonated again with lots of Trump voters. So it's going to be interesting. Keep in mind for all the angst and all the polls and all these things, so far in all the special elections that have been held, even though Republican numbers have been down, um, Democrats haven't picked up seats. So, I mean, this is, again, it's, it's being viewed, again, as one of these sort of bellwethers that's out there. Is something dramatically different going to happen? And we'll know the answer uh, tonight. All right. I, I, I admit, I have been watching this video over and over again all all day. This happened, and I people have been texting the word steal, and I'm sending you the link to the, the video at 414-799-1620. Um, here's, here's what happened. Um... This was at the Walmart in Franklin, 11.30 in the morning last week. And and let me describe this for you. Um, There is what appears to be an older woman, and she's, she's parked in the front space at the Walmart. I mean, so she's, she's not, she's not buried way in the back of, of this Walmart. She's in the front space space the space that is you know closest to the building and it appears to be it appears to be a, an older woman this is 11:30 in the morning she's got a, a shopping cart full of of stuff she's going out to her car which is a red sedan and she's got and and I can certainly relate to this um, she's got the trunk open and she's got the back door to the car open now, now this is eleven thirty in the morning at a busy Walmart. She is, she's at the front of what look the first parking space in what looks like a crowded sort of thing. She's got the trunk open, she's got the back door open, and she's loading stuff from her shopping cart into the trunk and into the back seat. I think she has put her purse in the back seat. All right, like she's taken her purse off her shoulder and she's got it in the back seat as she is actively loading her car with packages. There are people all over. There are cars all over in the video. All right, what you see in the video is that there's a white vehicle, a little white car, that turns and comes down the aisle, you know, towards where this lady is unloading the car, like you're looking for a parking space, right? The vehicle. This is still just mind-boggling to watch. Okay, so the car drives slowly down the parking line like you're looking for a car, like you're looking for a spot, and then pulls into the roadway, that little, the the area between where the Walmart would be and where the parking lot starts, you know, the, the lanes of traffic. Vehicle stops kind of parallel to where the woman's car is, and there's a little kind of like median strip. A guy gets out of the passenger side of the car. Now, keep in mind, the woman has her trunk open. She is actively putting packages into the back seat and into the trunk. Guy gets out of the car, runs across the little median strip, reaches into the car, steals her purse, I think it's her purse, off the back seat of the car, runs back over the median strip, jumps in the car, and it drives off. So... In the space of 15 seconds, while this lady has the back door open and is actually...
actively at her car, loading the car. Somebody rolls in and steals her purse that she has put in the back seat. All right, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I, I, I don't know what it is about this, well, I do know, that I find to be particularly outrageous. We have now gotten to the point in Milwaukee County where crime is so out of control that you can't load your car at 11.30 in the morning in a Target parking lot and leave your purse with the door open in the back seat while you are standing next to it without fear of being robbed. Isn't it time to finally, once and for all, say enough is enough? Isn't it time for us law-abiding, decent citizens to start taking back the streets. And there's a number of ways that we do this. I, I'm reading some comments by people saying, well, that this this lady, she, she should have known not to put her purse in the back seat. She's standing right next to the car. Is this this woman's fault or is this the criminal's fault? 414-799-1620, that is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. We are back with your calls in just a moment. Is this lady to blame? Has it really come to that point that in Milwaukee County, you, you can't even put your purse down on your backseat of your car as you are standing next to it because it will be gone in 15 seconds? I mean, is this is this, this lady's fault? Um, or is it the criminal's fault, and is it time to say enough is enough? 414-799-1620. We're back with your calls in just a moment. It's 216. 219, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. I don't know what it is about this video that just has me so incensed, because in this case, the, the lady wasn't beaten, like often happens with the carjackings. Nobody stuck a gun in her face. But, but she's in the front parking space at the Walmart in Franklin. She's loading up her car. She is putting whatever bags in the trunk and the back seat she takes her purse off she puts it in the back seat but she's standing right next to her car and this car pulls up somebody jumps out and in 10 seconds just just steals the purse and drives off i mean this is what is going on in this community and uh, we're reading a couple comments some people are saying well she should have known better than to take her purse off really i mean are we going to accept this 414-799-1620. I don't fault this lady. And the reality is the problem is we cannot begin to accept this as normal. The antisocial elements in this community need to be sent to prison. And, you know, when they catch whoever did this, they should be in jail for two or three years. Oh, you're going to send them to jail for stealing a woman's purse? Yes, I am. 414-799-1620. Jonathan in Walker's Point. Jonathan, you're first. Good afternoon. Yeah, hi. Uh, I work for Walmart, and I got to say, I, I really enjoy working there. And I think that the managers go above and beyond to uh, do everything they can to take care of the safety of the uh, the customers and the employees. Yeah, and let me stop you right there. I, this isn't an indictment of Walmart. It just happened to be at the Walmart in Franklin. I that the scary thing is this could happen. I think anywhere throughout this area. So it just happened to happen at Walmart. I don't mean to pick on them. It could have been Target. It could have been Best Beth, Beth, Bed Bath and Beyond. It could have been anywhere. This just one just happened at Walmart. Yeah. Yeah, I just I think it's disappointing. I, I I really do. I mean, especially out in Franklin, this sounds like something that would happen in Milwaukee. And I think it's just disappointing that crime is going out in the suburbs like that. Well, well, it is, and I mean, thanks to the call. I mean, it, it is it is disappointing. And this is, I mean, the the police and I I understand. 
But, I mean, here, here's what the police say, and I'm looking at their at, at their website, at their Facebook page. The below video shows how quickly thieves could remove property from unsuspecting citizens. Theft occurred last week at the Franklin Walmart. These individuals were also observed in Oak Creek for similar activity just prior to this. Please be aware of your surroundings at all time. If you see something suspicious, please report it to police. And and I I get that that is that is a valid commentary and it is a valid warning. But that's the the larger point is. We're not talking about somebody who, who's doing risky things or, you know, be, behavior that's kind of like in, inviting this type of crime. This is some this lady is doing something that we all do when we go shopping. You're putting stuff in the back seat of your car. You're putting stuff, you know, in the trunk of your car or the cargo hatch or, or whatever. And the criminals around here are now so brazen that they just pull up. I mean, I don't know. I mean, if I'm this lady, I, I have to tell you, I mean, sometimes you look at the people and you go, oh, boy, you know, they, they should have really been smarter about this. I don't know. The ladies in the front parking space, you got to do something with, with her purse. So what she does is she puts it in the back seat of her car, and, and she's she doesn't leave the car. It's just that she's got the doors open, and you can't even do that around here for 30 seconds without being concerned that you're going to have a, a couple of these losers who are going to come around and, and rob you. And it, I guess at some point in time, and I understand there's all these comments, women are saying, well, you've got to be careful with your purse. And sure, I, I understand that. And you want to be aware of your surroundings. But my God, I mean, you, you know, when you go to whether it's a Target or a Walmart or a grocery, I don't mean it, it's it, it's any store. You've got to be loading up things. Who's going to be thinking that 1130 in the morning you're going to have somebody just driving around, circling around, looking for these targets of opportunity? And and I guess we cannot accept this as being normal. And, and this is this is the problem. And it's why crime has been allowed to get so out of control in Milwaukee County and general and the city in particular, that this notion that you can't. You can't warm up your car for a couple minutes in the driveway when it's five below because you've got cars that are just driving around with the criminals in them looking for just that minute or two where you let down your guard. We should not have to live like that. We should not have to live like that. And if you've got these antisocial elements that are there, isn't it time to start sending them out of society? I'm sick of the second and third and the fourth chances. People... People should be able to unload their groceries or their bags in a Walmart parking lot at 1130 in the morning without having to worry about somebody doing what they did to this woman. Judy in Milwaukee. Judy, you're on 620 WTMJ. Hi, Jeff. Hi, Judy. I would like to comment sure. on the story. Sure. I used to live nearby the Walmart in Franklin. I lived there for 27 years, and the last few years I totally avoided Walmart. Not because of the store, I love Walmart, but because of a certain element that tends to prey on people mm-hmm. in parking lots. Okay. Um, also, several years ago, I stopped carrying a purse completely. Um, my key fob goes hidden on my person in my underwear. Really? Um, huh. My money goes down my underpants, and really? I have nothing on my person. I now live downtown, and I walk around all the time. But I don't carry anything, and I'm afraid this is the world we live in. There are too many people looking to take advantage of people, and I don't know how it's ever going to end. It's just, 
You know, it, it's just so amazing that we've gotten to this point, Judy. I, I'm kind of I'm reading while you were talking. I was kind of looking at some of the comments on the the Franklin Police Facebook page, and mm-hmm. there, there's there's one woman saying, "This is why I leave my car doors locked when I'm loading things into my trunk." You know, the, the idea that I, I can't right. load stuff into the back seat and in the trunk at at once. You know, I just right. and right. how did we get to this stage? You know. Um. I don't know. Yeah. That's a good question. No, and but it's... I, you always have to look around, be aware, and, and be aware that that person is going to probably steal from you. It, it, you just have to be aware of that. And I advise all women out there, I, I'm a retired law enforcement officer, and I advise all women do not carry a purse. Hmm. Just because it's, it's you make yourself a target, huh? Right. Someone sees a purse, they're going to grab it. What a bunch of pathetic losers. I mean, really, what a bunch of pathetic losers. Now, thank you. You've got to minimize your chances of becoming a victim, I guess. Yeah. I try to do. No, no, thanks for the call. But the the problem is that the the thieves are are so aggressive and so out of control that, I mean, I, I understand minimize that, but it's like, I guess I never really thought of what this lady is doing as being, you know, risky behavior. But, of course, you're you're seeing these stories all over again and again. And, and, and the reason I highlight this is I, I don't want us to lose our sense of outrage. There is a reason that the community and crime in this community has gotten this out of control. There is a reason why thieves feel emboldened enough to be able to do this. My guess is, and it's just a guess, my guess is that white car, if you look at this video that's involved in carrying these two guys, my guess is it's stolen. That would just be my guess. And my guess is the guys that are in this that ended up doing this have criminal records as long as your arm, starting, if they're not juveniles, starting with when they were, in fact, juveniles, and they haven't done any significant hard time. At some point in time, we've got to stop, start locking up these people who engage in the antisocial behavior. Maybe they will see the error of their ways, but if nothing else, it will protect the rest of us from these pathetic losers. It's 227. This is Jeff Wagner. 234, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. GE Healthcare may be turning 125 years old, but it's very youthful in its philosophy on bringing in and keeping top talent. Their team shares their secret to success with the folks at Newwalkie as part of the Intersection of People and Place podcast up now on WTMJ.com and on the WTMJ mobile app. While you're there, Check out the podcast of this program. No, lots of people do that. You can download that and just you can listen to the Noon to Three show anytime, anywhere. People keep asking me. I, it's actually been interesting. It's, we're glad to have you back at Noon to Three. And I said, not as glad as I am to be back at Noon to Three. So check it out. We do this every day. All right. I, I have tried to make a decision. When, when I started doing this show, and I've been doing a radio show in this market full-time or part-time for this would be like the 23rd year and and it was always like i am going to be honest with you and i'm going to share my honest feelings with you and kind of let the chips fall where they they may over the years as somebody who pays attention to crime one of the things i've noticed is more and more stories of of criminals that run from the police and uh, of course we've had the huge story in Milwaukee over the last several years because of the in my opinion idiotic policy of of not chasing people we encouraged people to do it and it became just this absolute epidemic but it's really simple in, in general if if the police try to pull you over and you decide to run as a general rule bad things 
are going to happen. Now, maybe you're going to get away, but, you know, perhaps you'll be caught the next time. Or a lot of times what happens is as people try to run, other people get hurt or the people themselves get hurt. And yet that message has not gone out. It doesn't stop people from running. And just in about a 24-hour period, a couple days ago, you had two, two stories like this. One Man crashes, this is the way today's TMJ4 reported it, man crashes car into tree while fleeing from Milwaukee police, later dies at the hospital. 25-year-old man, suspected of selling drugs, died Sunday night after crashing his car into a tree while trying to free, flee from police. It started just after 8 o'clock Sunday when Milwaukee police attempted to stop him in the 2200 block of North 12th Street. The driver fled the scene. How often do we hear that story? Crashed into a tree. He then attempted to flee on foot, but was arrested a short time later. He was transported to a local hospital by ambulance after complaining of pain, pronounced dead at 10.50 p.m. Um, In addition to the crash, investigators believe he might have ingested a bunch of drugs during the incident. So it's the car crash. It's a drug overdose. But the bottom line is he's dead in large part because he made the decision to flee from police and things he did while he was fleeing. At the same time, over the weekend, you had a story out of Franklin. And I don't mean to pick on Franklin. Our Walmart story came from Franklin. But here's the story. A man who was fleeing Franklin police drowned Saturday after he tried to evade them by jumping into a pond. The incident occurred about 2.30 p.m., Um, And this is Saturday when police were called to a fraud complaint at a store in the 6500 block of South 27th Street. Police chased the man who was in the car, but he abandoned it after getting into an accident in the 3100 block of West Sycamore Street. So, again, you've got the deal. The cops are called to a fraud complaint at a store. The guy takes off, crashes the car and then tries to run, he jumps into a nearby pond and never surfaced. Uh, The Franklin Fire Department dive team recovered his body. So just like the situation in Milwaukee, you have somebody who runs from the police, gets into a car crash, flees, and in this case, the guy jumps into a pond and and dies. All right, I I was actually talking about this with a couple people over the weekend, and I, I don't mean to come across as being cruel or insensitive, or uncaring. But, you know, my reaction to these these stories, in this case, in both cases, you have people who were involved in the commission of crimes. They attempted to flee from the police. They put the lives of other people in jeopardy by doing that. And they both ended up dead as a result of their decisions to flee. You know what? I'm not sorry in either one of these cases. I mean, these were decisions that people, again, bad decisions that people made. And we don't have the death penalty for dealing drugs, and we don't have the death penalty for fraud complaints. And because of decisions that these people made, you know, they've ended up dead. And and that's, that's a horrible thing. But it is a decision that they ended up making. So here, here's my question, and I, I want you to be honest. As you hear these stories and you find two people, two separate instances within 24 hours, people fleeing from police in this area, both of them end up dead. One jumps into a pond to get away and drowns. The other one smashes into a tree and ends up, you know, dead. 
I don't know if it was because of the accident or because they ingested drugs or a combination thereof. But you have two people dead that are fleeing from the police who would be alive today had they not made the decision to run. Do you feel bad for them? 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk or Text Line. Or is this just a logical consequence of the decision they made and if they decide if somebody makes a decision you're going to run from the police and bad things happen to you well that's on you 414-799-1620 you hear these stories do you feel bad for the people that oh my gosh they they lost their life oh how terrible this guy jumped into the pond to try to avoid police and he drowned or is this this is just what you get when you decide to do things like this. And perhaps if more people thought about what could happen, maybe they, number one, wouldn't commit crimes in the first place, or number two, wouldn't put everybody else's life in danger by deciding that they are going to run from the cops. Do you feel bad for these guys? 414-799-1620. And and my, my answer is... You know, there's a lot of things I feel bad about. There's a lot of stuff that I just think is horrible that goes on in this world. But you, you make a decision to run from the police under these types of circumstances. The truth is bad stuff could very well happen. And you've got nobody but yourself to blame. 414-799-1620. We discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. Gru is lining up the calls. It's 242. 245. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Really, since these two stories broke, I've been... I've been trying to examine my honest reaction. Um, on Saturday, guy fleeing from the Milwaukee police after a drug deal smashes into a, a tree, ends up dying um, partly because he's ingesting drugs, partly because of the car crash. Uh, the next day, guy fleeing from Franklin police crashes his car, causes an accident, gets out, tries to run, jumps into a pond, drowns. All right. So in both cases, two people dead. I believe human life is precious. But I'm giving you my honest reaction. I, I look at these stories and I go, eh. All right, it, it's too bad, but I, I'm not going to feel sorry for these people. This is what happens when you make the decision to run from the police. Um, you know, bad things occur often, and it's unfortunate that these people are dead. But, all right, let's see. Our text line has exploded with this. Um, uh, let's see. I'm not sorry at all. Made conscious decisions for both to commit crimes and then to try to elude the police. Michelle and Waterford text. It's called karma. I don't feel bad for them at all. Lori in Milwaukee. Nope, not one bit. Um, huh. Yeah, it's, I don't think that makes us bad, bad people. I, at least I, I don't. But that was my honest reaction as well. It's like, all right, if you're going to do the crime and you're going to run from the police, and you're going to jump into a pond. Okay, that's all the decision that you've made. Corey in Milwaukee. Corey, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hey, Jeff. Long-time listener, truck driver here. Oh, thanks uh, for this calling. Really, this, this really intrigued me. So uh, i got two things to say. Who cares? Okay, they, they want to go out here. They want to commit these crimes. One of them almost came on head on to me. I hit a pole. Split the pole. The pole fell on my car. He was running from the police. I don't care if they kill themselves. Let them kill themselves before they kill another innocent person on Milwaukee streets because they are too stupid to go and get a job. And I'm a convicted felon, two-time felon. I got out of jail, got my life together. Mm -hmm. These are a bunch of idiots that are running around here. So guess what? I don't care if they kill themselves. Kill (laughs) themselves before they kill somebody else. Well, I guess that's... 
I, Corey, I understand exactly what you're saying. That that's kind of the reaction that I end up having to things like this. It, it's that the bad stuff happens. And thank you for the call. Bad stuff happens because of the bad decisions that people end up making. It is unfortunate that they're dead. But they're dead because the guy in Franklin decided instead of just submitting to the cops, he was going to endanger people's lives. Like you were saying in your example, somebody hits a tree, a pole, and the pole falls down on your car. This guy caused an accident. People could have been dead. And even at that, he decided to run from the police and ended up being stupid enough to jump into a pond and drown. It is too bad. Feel bad for the guy's family or whatever, whoever he leaves behind. But you know what? That's the decision that he ended up making. And I I guess... Maybe if this happened just a little more and the word got out, maybe that would inspire fewer and fewer people to do this, to take off and to endanger everybody else's life. Mark in Wauwatosa. Mark, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good afternoon. Good afternoon, sir. How are you doing? I'm well, thank you. What do you think? Well, um, basically, it's hard to show remorse for someone who makes such a poor decision. But on the uh, other hand, um, if, you know, they are leaving people behind, uh, you know, I I guess you could sympathize for them. But as far as the action, it's it's tough. Yeah, it it is. It's kind of one of those things. And and that's why I want to do this topic kind of as a gut check. You know, I mean, because how do people honestly react to this? And there's all sorts of stuff that I think is unfair and really bothers me that goes on in the world. And. And, you know, uh, you, you look at what happened in Texas a couple days ago. I, I am heartbroken over the fact that you have 26 people dead, including children, and you have some psycho that opens up and starts shooting. I don't know. Somebody who dies running from the police and stupidly jumping into a pond. Well, okay, you at least had that choice. Those people in the church didn't. Yeah. Yeah. No, thanks for the call. Appreciate it. That, that's, that was kind of my honest reaction to this. And, and this is... Uh, now, look, I understand it's not going to change people's attitudes, and, and you do have this criminal element that's out there and the people who are doing these types of things, and, and they're going to continue to engage in that sort of behavior. I, I get it. I, I get it. But, again, I don't know that it necessarily makes me an uncaring or uncompassionate person when I say, you know, there's there's just certain things that – if you decide to do this, you're going to have to, you know, own up to the consequences, and the consequences may, in fact, be bad. Gru, who is producing the show, you a bourbon? You a whiskey drinker? You are not a whiskey. You're too young to be a whiskey drinker. You're, you, you, oh, you drink gin, yeah, but you, you probably you don't drink you don't drink martinis, right? You just like you like mix the gin into stuff like tonics and stuff or what? Yeah, yeah. So you're not a martini drinker either, right? No, that comes with age. You know, you just I. Martinis are an acquired taste, and unfortunately, I acquired it. You know, but but still, you got to work on it a little bit. But as you grow, chances are, you know, you'll you'll be willing to experiment with scotches and bourbons and things like that. And and lately, my brother and my best friend and I, we, we've gotten into like like good bourbons. And there's a difference between there's a difference between good bourbon and and, and cheap bourbon. I, I I can tell you this. Um, and you know, I I, I like I like a good bourbon. Um, Jim Beam. I'm not a Jim Beam drinker, but Jim Beam makes some higher end whiskeys that I like. Although, um, some friends of mine, I know a guy who runs a liquor store, 
and he was having this event where they brought in Jim Beam distributors, and they had this 25-year-old, like, Jim Beam, and I, I got, they, they, they saved me just a little bit. I couldn't go to the event, but they saved me just a little bit of it, and, and that, was, that was pretty darn good. Now, why am I talking about Jim Beam? Because Jim Beam finds itself in the hair, in the crosshairs of a controversy. If you've ever seen, all right, Gru, who's producing the show, you are you are not a Jim Beam drinker, but have you seen the Jim Beam commercial with that, that Mila Kunis, the, the girl from the, the 70s show, and she's like the spokeswoman for Jim Beam, and they have her in really, really tight blue jeans, and, you know, she's talking about how we age the the liquor this long. Okay, that, that ad. Okay, so Jim Beam is in the crosshairs of a controversy because this Mila Kunis, who is probably best known for that these TV show the 70s show she was you know she was Jackie on the 70s show but she's done she's done movies she was in the black swan she's married to her 70s star Ashton Kutcher right who's okay so but but th- that's her but she's she's the Jim Beam girl and I, I she I mean the whole idea is that she's in, in that commercial, I don't know what she looks like in real life, but they have her. They have her make. They make her look smoking hot in, in that Jim Beam ad, and that's what they try to do. Well, she goes on TV the other day and starts talking about how she has been trolling Vice President Mike Pence. Um, what she's been doing, she says, is she, she doesn't like the fact that the Vice President is is pro life. So what she has been doing is making monthly contributions to Planned Parenthood pretending that she is Mike Pence. So she's been making donations under the name of Mike Pence. Ha, 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 isn't this very, isn't this so funny, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and, and she went on uh, the Conan show, Conan O'Brien on TBS, and started talking about that. And, you know, people people start applauding. Oh, this is so tremendous, and isn't this great? Well, Jim Beam is getting this huge backlash because you have a lot of people who are coming out and saying, all right, we're, we're pro-life, and you know, okay, it, it's it's one thing for you know her to be you know pro-abortion, but it's another thing for her, who you are using as your spokesperson, to be just bragging about how they're doing this to the vice president and they're doing this this prank or whatever they're typing to do. So Jim Beam is having this huge backlash, and now the big question is going to be, you know, do they continue to keep her as a spokesperson? I've never been in favor of boycotting products because of the political views of the person that owns the the business, um, with perhaps one or two exceptions in kind of special cases. But but in a situation like this, this is a situation where this this Mila Kunis has caused her to the extent it's a problem. It's something that she has caused herself by bragging about how she's doing this. And I will tell you, I will be surprised. If Jim Beam does not drop her as a spokesperson, you know what? She gets what she deserves. She's the one who publicized this and made an issue. And if she gets dropped, I'm not going to lose any sleep over that either. It is 254. John McCure is in next. We'll find out what he has coming up on Wisconsin's Afternoon News. Stick around.